This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. With exclusive articles from Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, the Jesus Bible lifts Jesus up as the lead story of the Bible. It is available as a full study Bible, as well as available as individual Bible journals. Find out more at www.thejesusbible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to Christ-Centered and Clear, and where we want to have conversations about Christ and all the scriptures for every church, and we're going to jump back into our hero series. We've just finished up the book of Jonah. We're looking at uh, doing the book of Ruth or the book of Judges next, and so we'll uh, jump back into a book at some point in the near future, but today we're going to continue our series on heroes. We've already covered uh, Noah, and we've covered Joseph and Moses, and today we're going to look at the life of Joshua. And so have with me, as always, my brother, John Aiken, to help us uh, think through uh, the hero known as Joshua. A lot to say there. Uh, so, John, why don't we just jump in, kind of give overview of the the narrative of Joshua's life. I know it covers mm-hmm. several books, but give just the high points for those in their car. Just remind them of kind of what uh, the Bible talks about when it talks about jo- uh, Joshua. Yeah, so he, you know, he becomes a key figure associated with Moses after the exodus from Egypt uh, while they're in the wilderness. And then obviously uh, part of the the key with him is he's one of the 12 spies sent out by Moses to um, gather information on the land of Canaan and to bring it back. And only he and Caleb gave an encouraging report, The, the other 10 were discouraging and didn't think that the Israelites could do it. Joshua and Caleb showed faith. Um, and then when Moses was um, ending his time and was not allowed to go into the promised land, uh, he basically commissioned Joshua to be the leader of Israel at that point. And um, Joshua received the spirit. And, um, and then he, he's the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. And uh, then you get the book called Joshua, that's that's really about that, how he mm-hmm. um, tells the people to, you know, be strong and of good courage, or he's, he is told by the Lord to be strong and of good courage, and that if he doesn't, if he meditates on the word and does not depart from it, that he's going to be successful in what the Lord has called him to do. And, um, and then you see him leading the people of Israel into the promised land. They, they, uh, God divides the waters of the Jordan River, they cross over. Uh, they go to Jericho, and then Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And um, and then after that, they began to, from that position of Jericho, began to take the land. And um, there are northern campaigns, southern campaigns, and um, and they immediately after Jericho, as they go to Ai, um, they're sent in the camp with with a guy named Aiken, and. Mm-hmm. Um, they are different spelling. Yes, different spelling. Not, not related. Too not related. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're sin in the camp. God judges them. They they purge the camp of that sin, and then they go on to have success and to conquer the land. And Joshua divides it out among the tribes, 
And then at the end of Joshua, you have him um, basically doing a covenant renewal and telling the people, you know, choose choose who you're going to serve. And uh, mm. and he basically he basically predicts um, you're not going to keep your promise. And yeah. at some point, things are going to go poorly. And so uh, but but I mean, Joshua is basically one of these people you see in Scripture who's faithful for the entirety of his life. Um, and the people of Israel, he leads the people of Israel to be faithful for the whole time that he right. that he leads them, and so he's he, he is a character. Uh, we'll we'll get into this. I mean, and I don't mean character in terms of it being fiction, but he he is a man um, who sets up a lot that comes after him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the few guys who there's never really any kind of negative thing uh, said about him, and finishes well. I mean, yeah, it's, um, yeah, one of the few. So uh, textual issues that come up with the, the life of Joshua, we'll talk about christ Center connections in a minute, and there's obviously a lot, even just the name. Um, but any textual issues, I mean, even with just conquest or other things that, that you would bring up? I don't, I, there, are, um, there are plenty of textual issues in terms of, you know, the translations and those kinds of things in the text. Um, not most of that, I don't want to get into or get into the weeds on that. But I would say, you know, the, the, the main kind of things that you're going to have to deal with are not textual, I think, with Joshua, but more theological in terms of mm. these questions about, um, you know, wiping out entire entire pe- people groups and conquest and war. And, you know, how, how are we to think about those kinds of things? Um, mm-hmm. Those are those are um, questions that come up uh, with. With Joshua, and I think we'll probably tackle some of that in the application section. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- those are it, the big, it, the big things. So you've talked about even writing, potentially writing a book on um, just these idea of of ban and uh, conquest and things like that. What it, just some maybe initial thoughts on that? I know that can be a very, like a sticking point for atheists, unbelievers. It's something they'll try to to beat Christians over the head with. What is it when you kind of teach through passages like that? What are some of the themes you're trying to, to bring up as even just kind of apologetically for, for your people. Yeah. I mean, so I definitely, I definitely think this is a topic that needs to be addressed because it's, it's one of those ones that, um, that really does cause a challenge for skeptics. And it's also, I think a challenge um, for believers who are trying to defend their faith. And, and it, it causes a lot of believers to basically try to jettison parts of scripture. And so mm. there's a there was a guy, um, I think his name his name's Brian Zahn, uh, who pastors in the uh St. Joseph area, Missouri, uh, who's written some books about this, basically taking the view of um trying to cancel out the violence um mm. that we see in the Bible. And 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 there, I've even seen him write at times that like you know, Revelation 19, where Jesus comes back on the white horse and, you know, he slays his enemy with the sword that comes out of his mouth. And then the, the birds are feasting on their flesh. And he, he's written and said, that's a image of conversion that, that Jesus oh, wow. is converting these people. And, um, which is just, I mean, it's not, it, <laughs> that's terrible yeah. exegesis. And it's not, it's not at, at all what's going on in that passage. And so we're, so the one thing, the, the main thing that you're going to try to address is look, um, if you have a problem with these texts, then then your problem is with God, and your problem is with God holding people accountable. Um, right. 
is with the judgment of God. And, and what, um, you know, we, we talked about this, I think a little bit when we, when we addressed Noah is that we've, we've got to be able to say, listen, um, God is right to hold humanity accountable. Uh, there is like this whole apologetic question of why does God allow so much injustice in the world? Any, anytime you ask that question, you're basically saying, God, why don't you do something about this? And then, yeah. but then you turn around and look at the places in scripture where he did do something about this. And then you get upset and you, you're like, okay, well, that's not, that's not right or not fair. And so with Joshua specifically, I mean, you have not only the justice of God, but you have the the patience of God. God tells Abraham that basically here's what's going to happen um, in the future. In the future, you're going to be, uh, your people are going to be taken out of this land. Um, they're going to be, they're going to be slaves in a foreign land. And then I'm going to bring them back here. And he says to them, um, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so God is actually being very patient with the people who are in Canaan and he's, he's giving them, giving them time. But at at some point, uh, you know, the, the famous RG Lee phrase payday someday. I mean, at some point God's going to hold you accountable. And so what Joshua is doing, Joshua is, we're going to talk about this. Joshua is uh, a type, a forerunner of Jesus. They have the exact same name, um, and he is a he is a warrior savior um, mm. who one is used to rescue the people of God and establish them in the inheritance that God has given to them, and who is a judge who judges the enemies of God who who come against God. And that's not given to you. That's not given to me or given to us. That's given to Jesus, Revelation 19, that he is going to come back and he's going to judge um, those who have uh, who have opposed him and rebelled against him. And um, he's right to do that. He's right to hold humanity accountable. This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. Zonovan Bibles has partnered with the Passion Movement to bring you an accessible study Bible with features designed to help you meet Jesus throughout the scripture. With over 1,000 articles and essays written by contributors like Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, this study Bible is written so that you may know him more intimately, love him more passionately, and walk with him more faithfully. The full Jesus Bible has been changing lives since 2017, and now select books of the Jesus Bible are available as individual Bible journals. The handy size and ample space for taking notes make these Bible journals an ideal one for group study or personal devotions. Chronicle your own journey of faith as you discover Jesus as the lead story of the Bible in five Old Testament books and nine New Testament books. There was never a moment before him. There will never be a moment without him. There is no BC. Find out more at thejesusbible.com. God's payday train is coming into the station. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great sermon. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go too deep into this. We could we could talk about this in another episode, uh, and we'll go to Christ Connections next. But um, how familiar are you? I know we've talked about this some in the past with kind of Salehammer's argument of kind of the seams of Scripture, uh, and and he places one of the seams obviously at Joshua one, the other seam at Psalm one. Talk through that a little bit if you've kind of done any research. Yeah, on that. I think I think he I think he makes a good point about that the the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament is put together in a in a specific way and and making and and. Um, advancing a specific argument. He Salehammer says that the, the Old Testament is a messianic document written from a messianic perspective to sustain a messianic hope. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he's right. And I think you see in, the, in Joshua typology or this pattern of, of Joshua, you see it really uh, well laid out in the seams. And so 
if you think about the 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 Tanakh, T N K, um, and and those are Hebrew words, Torah, Navim, and and uh, the Ketuvim. So you have the Law, the Torah, and then the Navim is the prophets, and then the writings. Um, that's the the threefold division is how the the Old Testament is broken out. Jesus uh, uses this, for example, in Luke twenty four when he's talking to the disciples um, after he's been raised from the dead. And he says, everything that's been written about me in the, the law of Moses, the prophets and the, and the Psalms, um, he's using those threefold divisions. You have the law then the prophets. And then the, the poetry is the writings, mm-hmm. And, um, and he's saying the whole thing's about me. And, um, and then the prophet, the prophets, just for people who may not be familiar with this, we we hear the word prophets. We think of the writing prophets. So we think of um, right. Isaiah, you know, Isaiah the, Jeremiah, yeah. yeah, Ezekiel, all that stuff. But the prophets, in terms of the Hebrew Bible, is not is not is not talking. It's talking about prophetic literature that's that's looking to the future. But it's also talking about history uh, that's written from a pro- prophetic perspective. So you have um, a, a his- the history books of Samuel and and so forth, uh, Joshua, that are written from the perspective of the, this prophetic of uh, basically playing out what the Torah has said, and then when they mm. when they're obedient to the law and they they find success, and then when they're disobedient to the law and the prophets come in and say, "Hey, listen, because you're not, you need to repent, or this is what's going to happen," and so that's what plays out in the in the history books, and so the the, the historical. Or the the prophets section. I mean, basically goes from from Joshua, you know, through some of the writing prophets. Now, some of the, some of those that we think of as as prophets are also part of the part of the writings, but mm. uh, and that we think of history are part of the, the the poetry section of the writings. But there's that threefold division. So, not to you know, again, not to belabor the point, but the seams, as Stillhammer is talking about, the seams are uh, the transition from Deuteronomy to Joshua. So Joshua one. And then the the from the history to the poetry. So we're talking about Psalm one, okay? Because the the Psalter is the start of the of the poetic books, the writings. And what you see happening at both of those. So let's talk. Let's take it. Let's take Psalm one and then work backwards. Psalm one is this psalm about you know blessed is the man um, who does yeah, it delights in the law of the Lord right. Doesn't, meditates on it day and night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What you're saying, he, you know, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. He's planted. Okay. Mm. And then the wicked, it says it will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Um, and, um, and they're going to be blown away like the chaff, you know, that the wind drives away. And then immediately you have Psalm two. Okay, and now we we tend to think of the Psalter oftentimes in our churches as kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like an album where you like an album where you have, okay, now there's there's song one and then there's song two and there's song three. And you got, you know, all these different songs in the album and there's really no rhyme or rhythm to why you put which song where it's just you put the album together. You have the 10 songs you want, you put them in a specific order. It doesn't really matter. but there's good reason to think that Psalm one and Psalm two are actually a unit um, that they were, that they're meant to be read together. There's, you know, I could go through a ton of reasons in terms of the Hebrew text and the keywords that are being used. 
or there's a there's a, a chiasm which we can talk about we can talk about but there's a there's a parallelism psalm 1 starts with a uh beatitude blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and psalm 2 ends with him yeah. so they're framed with blessed are all who take refuge in him right kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled blessed are all blessed. who take refuge yep. in him who take refuge in the son and so there's that uh, beatitude begins it beatitude ends it also there's no superscript um, that separates psalm 1 and psalm 2 the first superscript comes at the head of psalm 3 psalm of david when he fled from absalom his son and then you have uh, in luke or not luke in acts 13 acts, right written by luke um in acts 13 in some of the western manuscripts paul's preaching uh i believe at Pisidian antioch and is saying um the text says as the second psalm says uh and then he he quotes you know about uh today you are my son i've begotten you but in in some of the manuscripts of the western text it says as the first psalm says and then he quotes psalm 2 um yeah. and so there's there's indications that these psalms are meant to be read together and that, that's important because what's happening at psalm 1 and psalm 2 is that parallelism the blessed man of Psalm 1, who delights in the law and meditates on it day and night, is the son, the king who is installed in Zion in chapter 2, and the wicked who are driven away like chaff in Psalm 1 are the nations that are raging against God and his Messiah in Psalm 2, and they're going to be blown away. They're going to be driven away like the chaff. Jesus, the son, is going to break them uh, to pieces with a rod of iron and and so forth. Um, And so that's the seam between the prophets and the writings, the poetry book. If you go back to the seam between the Torah, the law, and the prophets, that's Joshua 1. Well, what's, what's happening in Joshua 1? Well, the exact same thing that's happening in um, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Joshua is being charged here uh, with the Lord, telling the Lord, telling him, I'll be with you, and he tells him, uh, this book of the law is not to depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. You may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And what is that good success that he's going to have? Well, the good success that he's going to have is, uh, he tells him, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That he's The success is he's going to drive the Canaanites out of the land and establish his people uh, there in the land, and so the exact same thing we're seeing. Joshua is a uh, a warrior spirit king. anointed yep. warrior who is centered on the Word of God, the Torah, and therefore is able to defeat the enemies of God and establish the people of God. And that's exactly what we have in Psalm one and Psalm two is this prophecy, really, that there's going to be that the Messiah, the 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 ultimate Messiah, is going to be a man of the Torah, a man of the Word of God. Uh, who drives out the enemies of God and establishes the people of God. And so you have, so that, so that Selhammer talks about the seams and it really does set up this Joshua typology pattern that we see fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one who rescues. Jesus is also the one who judges. He is the one who's, he's not just centered on the word. He, he is the word made the of flesh. flesh. Right. Uh, and so, um, yeah. So the seams I think is really important in, ter- in terms of understanding what the scripture is doing with Joshua and how he's being presented. 
This podcast is sponsored by The Pillar Network. If you're the pastor of a revitalization or a replant seeking to lead your church towards healthy Baptist ecclesiology, you should consider The Pillar Network. Learn more about their DNA and what partnership looks like by visiting thepillarnetwork.com. Again, thepillarnetwork.com. Good. That leads perfectly then. Let's talk more uh, kind of Christ-centered connections. When you go through the life of Joshua, how is he pointing to Christ? Uh, some other things not mentioned, obviously, you've kind of set up the typology, but what are some other things that are kind of clear Christ connections? Yeah, so, I mean, you, there, there's um, there's several here that, it, let's, and maybe just uh, pull apart some of the ones uh, specifically that we that we know, uh, right, and that, that are familiar to us. but. Um, so, so one, let me, let me start from the beginning and kind of work through the, the series of his life. One is this, uh, Moses, right, is a prophet figure leading the people of Israel who anoints, commissions Joshua. And where does he do it? He does it east of the land of promise in the plains of Moab. Um, and when he does, Joshua receives the spirit. And then he leads the people into the land. Um, and the first place he goes is Jericho. And then he goes to Ai and he begins to, to establish the people in the land. This obviously is used in Hebrews to talk about Jesus being the greater Joshua who gives us, you know, Joshua didn't give them full and final rest. And Jesus is the one who gives us full and final rest in our inheritance. Um, but also there's a pattern being set up there with this pro- prophet leader who's commissioning. Uh, someone who receives the spirit, who leads the people. We see this play out again in the Old Testament um, in Second Kings when Elijah, before he uh, ascends into heaven, commissions Elisha where east of the mm-hmm. Jordan River. Okay. Um, in fact, Elijah, and this may be a future podcast, but Elijah and Elisha are um, replaying the movements of Joshua and Israel, but in reverse. So they're going from Bethel, which is near Ai, to Jericho, then east across the Jordan River, and then out there, he commissions him before he goes into heaven. He receives a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and uh, and then he goes back into the land, and he goes to Jericho first, and then he goes to Bethel, which is Ai, uh, or near Ai, um, second. And there's this idea that there needs to be a new conquest in the land, okay, that uh, because they, the people, right, the Israelites right. are there, right? And so they become idolaters. They're, they become like Canaanites. And then we see that the exact same thing play out with Jesus. Jesus is being, he goes to John, who is baptizing east of the Jordan River, uh, which we know that from from John chapter one. Uh, he's in Anon near Salim, and uh, and so he's baptizing east of the Jordan River. Jesus goes there east of the Jordan River. He's baptized by. John the Baptist, who's a new Elijah, okay, yep. who was a new Moses, and uh, and then he receives the Spirit. The Spirit descends from heaven like a dove and and rests on Jesus, um, and then he goes into the land and he begins his ministry. And it's a it's a, like Joshua and and Elijah, Elisha. It's a saving ministry in terms of uh, the miracles that he's doing and and the sinners that he's saving. It's also a judging ministry where he's. Hmm driving people out of the temple and he's uh he's he's pronouncing judgment on this uh fake self-righteous religious system that's been set up 
uh, there in uh, Israel. He's driving out demons into animals and they're rushing off of a cliff or whatever. So it's a judging ministry and a saving ministry. And so we see uh, all of that starts kind of with the pattern that begins with with Joshua. And that that begins with him taking the people into the land. So they cross over just like uh, Elisha will, just like Jesus, they cross over the Jordan River um, and they begin to come into the land and they have to go to, they're going to start with Jericho. Um, and again, just to, to repeat what we said before, Genesis 15 had promised Abraham's descendants are going to come back into the land. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then, and then God is going to use Joshua to punish sin, uh, the sin of the Amorites, of the, the Canaanites, and, um, and, and bring about uh, what, he had, what he had promised. And so this is, when I talk about, uh, uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll get to this when we get to application. So what Joshua does is he sends out the two spies, right? Since last time only two gave a good report, he sends out the two spies. And they come in, and we see, again, we see both these things playing out, judgment and salvation. Uh, there's the, the woman Rahab, and um, some people think she was a prostitute. Others think that she was kind of like a, a a madam, that she like ran ran the brothel, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and that this would be something like, like an inn, her house would be kind of like an inn, that visitors would come there and there would be all kinds of services that she would provide in addition to a bed, you know, and, and that was part of it. So we, we don't know exactly, but it, either way, what she's doing is, is obviously um, very problematic. And then you have, you have to, even again, as we think about letting scripture interpret scripture, you have language in Joshua chapter two um, that, that kind of paints the picture that, that Jericho is, is like Sodom and Gomorrah because it's, uh, the the king's men come and they they bring out the men. It's the same thing that said in Sodom and Gomorrah about the angels that are visiting uh, Lot uh, and so forth. But Rahab shows great faith. She she recognizes that the God of Israel is the true God because of what He has done to uh, the Amorite kings and so forth. And so she wants to side with the God of Israel. And so so God spares her, um, and He spares her. And this also points to Jesus. And and this is a discussion that people get into. They, the spies ask her to um, tie a scarlet cord, right, or, you know, in the window of her house, yeah. and that, yeah. and that when she does, uh, that death, death won't come to her and her household. Well, um, I mean, that's a key. That, that's a key kind of thing. A lot of people say that the scarlet cord. They, you know, uh, they make fun and say, well, you know, not not everything that's read in scripture points to the cross, and that the scarlet thread is is kind of people allegorize that or overplay that. There was a famous um, set of sermons. Crystal. Yeah. Crystal yeah. did the Scarlet Thread of Redemption. I think if I, if I remember correctly, I think he preached that like on New Year's hours. Eve, I think. Yeah. Like New Year's Eve going into to midnight. It's kind of like a, yeah. like David Platt's secret church, but back <laughs> in the day. Secret church. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so he traced this theme of redemption. And I, I think it's absolutely um, pointing us to Christ because it, it comes on. It comes in a context. It comes on the heels of the people when they cross. They cross into the land. The first thing that they do is they're going to observe the supper. I mean, not the supper, the the, the Passover. But they have to be circumcised first because you can't uh, observe the Passover unless you've been circumcised. And so they they circumcise their men. 
they observe the Passover. And then the very next thing is, is Jericho and this, this, this red cord that's tied in the window and everybody dies except for the person who's displayed the red. Now I'm not saying every instance of red is pointing you to the cross. Like when the Bible talks about David being ruddy in complexion, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's pointing to the blood of Jesus, but there's a clear connection with the Passover, which, which the new Testament clearly indicates is fulfilled in Jesus. Our Passover lamb uh, has been slain, you know, and, and, and so this, this idea of you display the blood, on the door, the death angel is going to pass you over. Then you display the the red, uh, cord. red cord, and then, then death is not going to come to your household. And so there is there is clear um, redemption for those who are in uh, for those who side with the God of Israel. But there is also judgment, and that judgment for those who are opposed comes on Jericho, and uh, and that that imagery of salvation again, through judgment. Solomon, yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, salvation through judgment. Here at Jericho, uh, salvation through judgment. And uh, Joshua is the spirit-anointed warrior that God is using uh, to bring that about. And then out of that, the defeat of Jericho begins to fulfill the promise that God gave to them, that he's going to give them a home where they don't have to worry about enemies, where they're going to have rest. Um, that's why this happened in a week, right? Seven days, and then you you rest on the seventh. Seven seven days marching around, seven times around on the seventh day. Um, I mean, that's a clear reference to Sabbath and to uh, the rest that we're supposed to have, and that we don't ultimately have. Hebrews tells us until um, we get it in Jesus Christ uh, at the end of the age, and so He's going to give us a forever home with complete with complete rest uh, against our our, our enemies that uh, are going to be subdued. Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or text you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources. 